Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today we've got special treat. We have with us Linda Rosen, novelist, who actually we have to give a shout out to Michelle Cox because that's how we met Linda. Linda, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me and thank you Michelle also for recommending this. For all the listeners who didn't yet know this, Michelle was our guest maybe like two months ago at this point. After you listen to this, you could go back and listen. Michelle is the first episode extra, as we called it, that we did. Very worth the uh, listen. Now on to Linda. Linda, you're a novelist. You've got two books out so far. How did this begin? Why did you decide, you know what I got to do with myself? I got to be writing novels. It happened kind of organically. It was not that I ever planned on writing a book. It was something for many years being an avid reader, I always thought, oh, how cool it would be to write a book. And I've been active in book clubs. I thought it would be fabulous to talk with book clubs about a book that I actually wrote. I mean, it was, you know, something that was like, how wonderful that would be. And as I was nearing my 60th birthday, I was looking for something more creative to do. I'm a fitness professional, so for many years I was creating exercise routines for group classes or working with private clients. I did a lot of the other kind of creative stuff, gardening, needlepoint, you know, all that kind of stuff that a lot of people do. And I was playing with photography, so I was looking for a photography course at a local adult school when I came upon a writer's workshop. And I thought, ooh, that might be fun. I mean, give myself a chance at writing. So I signed up for that workshop and I just fell in love with it and my fingers haven't stopped going across the keyboard. That was my first taste. I started writing with prompts. I learned about the craft and then I just kept going and just going. Two books later, it's still surreal. Wow. Did you never have a thought, considering all the other things you've been into, to have written either some sort of fitness workout book, something, or something about gardening. Something non-fiction, I should say, versus writing fiction. Was that a thought at all, or was just, no, this is what no, you No, actually, I have written articles for magazines and websites on fitness. I used to have a blog, a fitness blog. I started that when I was starting my writing, so it was called The Literary Leotard. I played with a lot of writing, and I tried to put books and writing into anything about exercise. So that was fun. But when it came to actually writing, I wanted to write the kind of novel that I love to read. But I will tell you that my first book, The Disharmony of Silence, my character is a fitness professional. So there you go. Right. So you brought it together. Well, having done the blog, and it's obviously very different than writing a novel, but do you feel like you were sort of testing the waters a little bit with the blog and trying, like, oh, I I could actually kind of do this? Or you think it's like, in your mind, it's two separate... Oh, yeah. No, because I was having a good time being creative with the blog, and I was finding my voice. So, yeah, it was testing the waters. It was a lot of fun. But then once I got into writing the novel, seriously, honestly, I just didn't have time for the blog, and I just have not gone back to it. Every once in a while, I'll go back, and I'll take a look at something and repurpose it for something else. I don't even know if you could find it anymore because I haven't been on. But if you want to, you could Google the literary leotard. You might find it. You know what? 
I'm going to do that right now. Okay. Let's see. We live in a century where all of it is at our fingertips. So That's right. It was from Blogspot, and I had fun writing those articles, those blogs. It was also a way of me getting together, just melding the two. And now that I've been writing a newsletter, which I call Linda's Tea Room for my followers, that kind of gave me a little entree to that also, learning how to do graphics and the posts and, you know, that sort of thing. Even in my newsletter, I just like to make it chatty and make it fun. Not all about me. I love to recommend other books and anything else that I'm doing. Just to confirm, the blog is still there. I found it. Oh my gosh, there you go, <laughs> Literary Leotard. And yep. I have all kinds of great suggestions for exercises, but mixing them up with literature and writing. So there you go. Thank you. Just so everyone knows that it's still out there, they want to go check it out. So can you think now that going from writing a blog to writing a novel, was that specifically difficult for you? Because, wow, I only had to write a few hundred words and I'm going to thousands and thousands of words. Or because of the workshop or your approach to it, it didn't feel like that. No, it did. When I was finished with first time I thought I was finished, I had 65,000 words. And I had an agent friend tell me, they're nowhere near there. (laughs) (laughs) I I then learned like 70 to 100,000 words for a novel, that kind of thing. I think my first novel was around 75,000. I don't remember exactly, 72 maybe. But the next one was longer and the one I'm working on now, I'm even longer than that. Oh. There's quite a difference in building character and setting scene, digging into the period of time rather than writing a short blog that's just happening now in the present. Right. Yeah, that's true. Are they considered women's fiction or what do you call them? My books are women's fiction. I learned recently that they are called historical women's fiction because the first book, Miss Harmony of Silence, is set half in the early 1920s and the other half in 2010. Sisters of the Vine is in the late 60s and 70s. So since they both have periods of time that's over 50 years, they're considered historical fiction. I never would have thought they were historical fiction, but they are considered historical. So I call it historical women's fiction. Basically, I call it book club fiction. Well, well, that's another thing. Having been in the book clubs all the years, and even though you're just sort of talking about books or arguing it as a fan or a reader or something, do you think that gave you some sort of perspective to storytelling or to, hey, I realize what I really like or what I think doesn't work? Can you consciously say that you've gleaned something from that or not specifically? That's a great question. I don't know if I consciously did, but I guess maybe because I wanted to write a book that a book club could dig into. It made me find more than just a nice storyline. I wanted to find issues that could be talked about. Um, So in my first book, there's a huge issue of is a secret a lie? And also, is a family always blood? Which I then carried into my next book also about does blood only make a family? So I wanted to get into topics that you could discuss in a book club, more so than just writing a next story and tying it up at the end in a pretty bow. So was that something that you thought of as you're actually writing, or that's something you thought of originally? I I think it was just in me. It wasn't like conscious, I have to do this now, or I have to do this. It was just who I am and how I write. So you almost didn't even realize all the years that you're training yourself to write. I guess you could say that. (laughs) True. I know a lot of writers, even though everyone has their own kind of writing tips and things like that, but I think overwhelmingly most agree that being a good reader helps with being a good writer. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I also truly believe that you have to read outside of your genre because you pick up so much in any type of book. Today, I'm reading a book, and I thought, ooh, I wish I had said that. She had yeah. a great metaphor. <laughs> I thought, ooh, can I steal that? You well, know? that's true. Seeing how other authors use words. Oh, yes. I didn't know you could do that with words or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Or she's got a great simile in something, and I think, well, I'm not going to use that, but it makes me think of something else in my own book and that I could rework it, that kind of thing. But it's hearing the other voice and getting the feel of the flow of a novel. I can't say it's like taking a class where you did this and then you had to write the essay on it, but it kind of subconscious, it flows into my writing. Well, that also speaks to some people when it comes to either books or film or something like that. They don't want to be thinking. Just entertain me and pass the time. But that would be, you have to consciously go into it with like an awareness of, sure, I want to enjoy this, but I really have to be paying attention while I'm enjoying this. What can I get from this sort of thing? Yeah, well, what happens when I'm reading, I want to be taken somewhere else and let me relax and dig into story and these characters and this author's setting. I don't want to be thinking about anything else. But then I come across a sentence that makes me stop and you want to digest it. And it's beautiful, which that makes me start thinking about my own writing. And then I get back to reading the story again, because that's really what I want to be doing. Yeah, that's true. I spoke to an author a while ago. His name is Jonathan Mayberry. And he writes a lot of thrillers, horrors, things like that. And he said, you know, if someone tells me this is a good book, I'll read it. Even though I should have been taken aback because I should have known that that's what a good writer would say. But like, what, you'll read a romance? And he's, yeah, because if I want to have romance in one of my books, I'm going to go to someone who's good at romance and see how do they do this. That's like a learning yeah. thing for him to say, how did you write this book? Which is his perspective. That's why you got to read widely because you see how other authors use the words and you also see, hey, I really like, okay, romance or whatever it is. Let me see how you've done it. Right. What can I learn from that? Yeah. But most of the time I'm reading is because I want pure relaxation and enjoyment. <laughs> to be carried away somewhere else. That's definitely an advantage of being a writer is how enjoyable your research is. As in, well, I got to read to be a writer. Yay, you oh, right. That's very true. Did you want to just give a brief kind of summary in your words of what your first novel is, is about, the general thing, and, the, and what the second novel is about? Okay, sure. My first novel, The Disharmony of Silence, my character is Carolyn. And Carolyn, her mother is dying and she realizes when her mother dies, she is going to be all alone. She doesn't have a husband. She was married for a half a second after college. No children, no brothers or sisters. And she's desperate for family. So she starts doing her genealogy when she notices in cleaning up her mother's home, she notices a painting hanging on the wall that's hung there her entire life. But she never realized that in the painting on the woman's dress is a cameo. And the cameo is exactly like the one in her mother's jewelry box. So she and her girlfriend start Googling cameos, and they realize that this cameo is unique. And she wants to know why this painter had that cameo in her painting. So she researches the artist, and it goes from there, and it then turns into genealogy and secrets. And when she comes up a secret that's been held in her family for over 84 years she is so determined to tell it against all kinds of advice because it could bring her everything she wants you remember she wants desperately to have family but it could also ruin other people's lives and it all depends on what she does with that secret oh wow so that's the disharmony of silence 
And then I wrote The Sisters of the Vine, which takes place in the 60s and 70s. It's set on a hillside vineyard in the Hudson River Valley. Liz is my protagonist. When Liz throws her husband out, I just gave a little piece of the book away, but that's okay. <laughs> Liz is left with 13 acres of grapes ready to be harvested and has no idea what to do with them and how to go about this daunting task. So she walks down her mile-long road and knocks on neighbors' doors and recruits stay-at-home moms who have absolutely no knowledge of winemaking. And they come and help her. And together, these women fight their way into the all-male fraternity of winemaking and fight their way through the late 60s with the whole second wave of feminism to where Liz becomes the first woman winemaker and woman winery owner in the Hudson Valley. It's a story of friendship, and it's a story of a woman's determination to keep the land she loves and feed her family and keep the sisterhood formed around her. I could totally see yeah. how both of those are book club books. The first one's the one that has two timelines in it, correct? Yes, it's in the disharmony of silence. The real time that she has to go explore, and then you go back in time to what happened then sort of thing? Yes, I wrote it several different ways, and it eventually became a dual timeline rather than having all flashbacks and backstory because I realized, or I didn't realize, my character truly, really did tell me <laughs> I want to be in this. I know that sounds crazy. I used to laugh when I would hear authors say that, but it was really true. I had to tell Lena's story. She had to have her story told. And Rebecca, who's another character in that timeline, who's this jealous, bitter woman, she insisted on being there. So I go back and forth in time. Ah, very good. And then the one with the Sisters of the Vine, is that based historically about a first female winemaker sort of thing, or that was just the story that you came up with? It is actually based on a real person, but not in the Hudson Valley, somebody else who I know. I was so taken with her story that I then jumped away from it, changed the period of time, changed the locale, and wrote my story. And so for either of the books, you have to go into this total research rabbit hole for it, or what did you do? Well, yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to just say. Actually, researching Sisters of the Vine was a lot of fun because I had to go to a lot of winery. I had to actually stand in the vineyards and feel the grapes and learn about making wine. Of course, you have to taste it then. Oh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And my research for the disharmony of silence, it's not a huge amount, but I had to learn a bit about genealogy for that. And that was a lot of fun for the 1920s section, just finding the clothes they were wearing or the building or what things looked like, what they were eating, drinking, bringing in a little history there. Well, yeah, because there has to be some level of accuracy, even if you're making everything up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So did you had your story and then you went in afterward to very specifically find the details? Or you did most of the research first and then went to writing the story? No, actually, I do it all together. It okay. happens. With the wine, I was learning to do it as I was just playing around with ideas for the book and learning to make the wine. But as I was writing it, I would come across things that I'd have to learn more about. And luckily, I do have a friend who has a wine, has her own winery, and I would call her and ask her questions. And then I would do some other research. So I do research as I'm going along. I'm not one of those who does a ton of research ahead of time and then can sit down because it's not the kind of book I'm writing. I think if you're writing a book, let's say, about a particular historical person, you have to. But I was writing a fictitious story set in a period of time. So I could do a lot of my research as I came across it that I needed. 
Yeah, well, because I think a lot of people get either they actually fallen into the research rabbit hole or they're a little bit afraid of it. They're afraid maybe of ending up with, how did I just get 4,000 uh, pages of research? What am I supposed to do with this now? Well, I did find that and I did have so much more research about winemaking that didn't fit into the book. It was okay. Even about genealogy, I didn't need it, but I needed to know where she would go to find this particular piece of evidence and what place in downtown Manhattan she would have to go to to find the birth certificates, you know, that's sort of thing. I'm suddenly inspired to write a story that takes place in a winery. I can't say why. Now, don't do what I did. I chose a vineyard. I chose a wine region near my home because it was easy. I could get to it. I should have chosen Provence. (laughs) So if you're going to do it, choose somewhere really fun to go to. You're right. We have to research all the wineries. We have to go to France. We have to go to Spain. We have to go to... Right. 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 Excellent writing advice right here. Yeah. Am I remembering correctly that your second book also had some sort of piece of jewelry or something in it? Absolutely. My first book has a cameo, an heirloom. My second book has an heirloom three-carat diamond. I have a cameo. That's where it came from. I have an heirloom cameo. And when I was creating the book and the painting that set Carolyn off on her research and her all her search, I decided to put my cameo on the dress and the painting. But I had to make it unique, so I added a little silver flower behind the woman on the woman's hair. I don't have a three carat diamond <laughs> yet, but I threw that in yet. <laughs> I threw that one in there. And the book I'm writing now, I have an emerald because it was brought to my attention that that's part of my brand, and I now have to have a piece of jewelry in any book I write because that's part of my brand. I didn't know I was a brand. Now here I am and I'm a brand now. (laughs) But I will tell you that having that helped me start my third novel, which I'm working on now. Just the fact that I had to have a piece of jewelry, it was like, okay, which one am I going to do now? And I had a family story with an emerald ring. That's not the story that's in the book, but there is a secret with the emerald that sort of came from my family's story. So it's nice to have that little tidbit to have to go by. It's like kind of creating a starting point or an anchor, some sort of framework. And I also realized as I was writing that I really like to write, as it says in my bio, in the not too distant past. I don't want to go way, way back, but I do like to write because I like to read books set somewhere in the past also. So I that's what I enjoy writing rather than something set today. And I like to bring in a little history. I want to bring in the period of time. As a reader, I like to learn something when I'm reading. So I do that also in my books. I want my readers to learn something. Right. Sisters of the Vine, the cover, it fits in with they have sometimes memes. And it's something that, that I've seen a lot before where it's a woman's historical fiction and the cover is always the back of a woman looking out over some sort of landscape. Yeah, that was a popular <laughs> thing for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Someone once pieced them. I don't know if they actually saw it in a bookstore somewhere, like in the showcase, or if they actually just created the image themselves. But there's a lot of them. <laughs> They're like shelves there and shelves. There's a lot of the back of people. And what I'm noticing now, there's a lot of covers with red, a red dress, something with red. Huh. And it's very eye-catching because I like red. 
Maybe my next cover I'll have read. Or by that time, it'll be passe. What can I tell you? <laughs> I have seen, uh, no, I don't remember where the article was, but it was from some sort of designer, an artist, an illustrator, one of these people about certain color trends. The certain color combinations that are eye-catching combinations. So there's certain tones of blue that they'll pair with certain shades of orange. It was like a while ago that there were a lot of films that had in their movie posters, they had those colorings. So I guess the red dress, that's the... That's what it is. Schindler's yeah. List did the red dress already. Didn't that already that's have right. like, yeah. It, it, it did. Yes, it did. But you'll notice book covers now have a lot of red in them, whether it's a hat or dress, something red. I'm going to see it probably everywhere now that you said that. <laughs> so going back, when you wrote your first novel, The Disharmony of Science, once it was done, what was your decision after that for getting it published? Did you try the literary agency thing? Did you just want to have full creative control of, over it? What was your decision there? I always wanted to be traditionally published. I never, ever thought of self-publishing, only because it was something that I wanted. I wanted the validation. And I did go the whole route of querying agents, getting requests and getting rejections and getting requests for full manuscripts and then never hearing back. I went through the whole thing until I started. I'm a member of the Women Fiction Writers Association. And I saw that there were a lot of the authors in the association were getting published by small presses that didn't need an agent. So I did that. I went and I looked and I did my research and I found my publisher that way. So it's a traditional publisher, but unagented. And what's the name of your publisher? Black Rose Writing. It's considered a small press because they are way smaller than the big houses like Simon & Schuster or HarperCollins. They are a traditional press that publishes a lot of books. It's great because a lot of times, either they'll give you more leeway in your writing because they're just happy to be publishing you. If they value your stuff, they're not aiming for the New York Times bestseller. They'll let you do stuff more with your writing sometimes. That's or true. Yeah. That's very true. Or it gives you kind of just the traditional experience without, again, you don't have to sit through... Because agents, they get bombarded, so... Right. The whole thing is a business. Of course, any publisher wants to be making money. But with a smaller press, they... Maybe it's their overhead. I don't know for sure. They don't have that overhead that others have, that they only have to publish big names and those that are going to, like you said, make the New York Times bestseller list. They're willing to take books that might have a little controversy in them that another publisher may not want to handle at the time for political reasons or whatever. The small press is also very collaborative, at least yes. mine is, very yes. collaborative, which is a wonderful experience. It's not all taken out of my hand. I have a say in my cover. I have a say in my title. That's the big other thing, is how much say you actually do have in the final product. There's definitely trade-offs to it, but many people I've spoken to who are with small presses I'm with a smaller press. There's a little bit of a trade-off because you might not have the same level of publicity or whatever, but creative right. ex advantages might sometimes according to what you want, it might overweigh that. It doesn't mean you can't ever get into a bigger house. It still gives you that no, opportunity. Well, I mean, it's, it's really what you choose to do and where you are in your writing career and what age you are. You know, all of that has to play into it. Yeah, that's true. When you finish your second novel, you went immediately to them. Did you tell them you were working on something else or did you sort of have to... Even though you got the fast track, you still sort of had to repitch it and that sort of stuff. Okay. When I finished Disharmony of Silence, they published that in March 2020. I would say in May, I was asked if I had another book. And I told him I was working on one. And he wanted to see it. And it wasn't done. But he said, send me what you've got. And I did. And he said, we want to do this book. And oh, wow. send you a contract and have it to me by September. And I absolutely panicked. There's no way I'm going to have it to you by September. It took me 10 years to write the other one. Wow. <laughs> but 
it was almost done, so it was okay. So I did, and then they published it, and it came out a year later. Now I'm working on my third, and I don't actually have to pitch it to them. I think they're waiting for it, in a sense, but I do have to pitch the synopsis to them. They do have to know what the book is about. They're not just going to take anything because I say I wrote it, that kind of thing. So, in that way. But I don't have to go back to square one as if I hadn't done anything because they do have to put my book. Yeah, that's good. What happened with your second book, that's great. Writing under contract, after the initial panic, was that still fine or it felt very different to write under contract of, oh no, I need to get this done? You know, it felt so different because the first time when I started writing, I took my time. It could take me 10 years. I started it. I stopped. I went back to it. Then I started writing Sisters of the Vine and I put Disharmony away. Then when I decided to get back to Disharmony, I really focused for three years and got it done. So Sisters of the Vine was partially written already, though it needed a lot of rewrites. It didn't matter. But putting a deadline on me really made me work hard. And I like it. I work better under a deadline. I like that. forces me to do it. I mean, I enjoy the writing, but it's easy for me to say, oh, I think I'll go to the garden today or, you know. We need to visit another winery before we go. That's right. Visit a winery, (laughs) go to the beach. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Someone mentioned a beach in the book, so I need to go visit a beach to get the feel of it. Also, for yourself, did you feel a difference from your own writing, the first to the second novel? The first novel, even though you had done the workshop on the classes, and you know you were kind of doing things the way they were supposed to be done, but by the time you got to the second novel, did you feel like a different writer then already, or you feel like you found some sort of flow, or not necessarily? Oh, yeah, I think both. I definitely found a flow, but I, I felt like a different writer. When I started writing, I did not know what they meant by the craft. And once I understood what that term meant, I definitely was a different writer in my second book, and I am in my third. Definitely a different writer, and I feel a better writer. Right. Well, that's part of going back to reading with awareness, sort of, and that's kind of, in a way, writing with awareness of, let me improve yes. myself, sort of thing. Right. And yes. learning why I needed to do all the revisions in one book, I didn't have as many in the second because I understood what I needed to do. From the outset, right. Yeah, that's a good point. But, I mean, not that doesn't say that I didn't have revisions. I'm just saying there were less. Or certain, quote-unquote, amateur mistakes. You yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And then one more question before we wrap up. You had mentioned that you're part of, what was it, the Women's Fiction Association? Yeah. So just in like a line or two, for those who don't know, haven't heard, what's the Women's Writers Association? Okay, the Women's Fiction Writers Association. It's a fabulous organization for people who write women's fiction, really. And you don't have to be a woman to write women's fiction. It's a great networking organization. We have wonderful webinars. We have wonderful learning experiences, networking and communities and feeding off of each other. It's a fabulous organization for that. And I met so many writers through that. I met my 2020 debut group through them. It brings a lot of community. You feel like you have sisters and that's so important. Yes. Conferences also. So it's a resource and a networking. Absolutely. And we do so much online. I actually, I got very involved with them during COVID. So it was all online. It's a wonderful organization, resource, networking, and always you're going to meet fabulous writers who are all very much part of a community and willing to help each other, yeah, that's promote great. each other. Is that specifically for the U.S. or is it international? Oh, no, it's international. It's so wow. great when I'm on a Zoom and somebody's calling in from Germany and yeah. somebody was in Japan. Wow. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, that is. Yeah. That's fantastic. Very good. So, Linda, we always wrap up with this sort of fill in the blank of I really like it when and choosing one. 
writers, editors, publishers, stories, books, covers, whatever. I really like it when, and then I really don't like it when. How would you fill in the blank with that? Well, uh, let's go back to the right, uh, what I like it when, because it goes along with what I was just talking about. I love when writers promote each other and help each other out. I never realized I was going to have a whole new life in a whole new world when I started writing. I thought I'd be sitting at my own desk writing, and I have so many friends and people I really do call friends who I've never met in person, and we all help each other in so many ways, and the promotions and just the encouragement. So I love that, when writers help writers. What I don't like, and you did mention that you are with a small press. I don't know if you have the same experience, but I don't like when bookstores overlook unknown yes. writers, less popular writers who are from small presses. Amen. They want big names. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't like that. That is very well said. I echo it and I have nothing to add to it. Okay. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. Different reasons for why it is, but that is the way it is. It is true. It's a business. I understand, but give us a chance. We've got great books. <laughs> yeah. I had two bookstores that were just so wonderful. Yeah. My first book came out. Unfortunately, they closed because of COVID, you oh. know, due to COVID. Yeah. And then I've had other bookstores where they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to know from me. You know, yeah. sorry. Yeah. And that's how it is. I think that goes back to networking too, maybe. I'm in very cosmopolitan, more, I'm suburban, but more in an urban area. If you live in smaller towns, maybe, they're more willing to take on their local authors. It could be. It's possible. Yeah. There might be less local authors walking in even, so it's more manageable for them. That yeah. could be too. Okay, fine. We're giving everyone the benefit of the doubt, even if we don't like what the uh, end result is. Well, still go and buy books from them now, because I love the indie bookstores. Right. Very good. Linda, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. I love being here. Thanks a lot. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring novelist Linda Rosen. To find out more about Linda and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Work Podcast and to keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, please follow us on Instagram at Oh My Work Podcast. And check us out at eltenenbaum.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.